Nation. It's time for the Hammer Down Show with Jared Jesselitis. Oh, yes. And what was that beginning, middle, and end part again? Streaming online at 1017thehammer.com. All right, sounds good. Let's do this. Fifteen minutes. A lot of questions to talk about with him. Who is on the bubble right now in the Big Ten? Who is safely in? Who has to have a win this week? And is Purdue on the one line or is it UCLA? What do they think the committee is going to be looking at? Brian, for being a part of the Assembly Call podcast, which I know some of you hate because you're Purdue fans, and I get it. Very, very good with this kind of stuff. It's hard. I swear it's getting harder and harder. But uh, Delphi Bracketology, very, very smart with that kind of stuff. So uh like to hear what the kids have to say on that seating. He's coming up about 15 minutes. Uh, also, all of the lists today for uh, the Big Ten honors. we got a lot to discuss with that. Uh, we'll do that here in about a half hour. But uh, let's get it going. I'll tell you about it here in the Need to Know News. Here's your Need to Know News. All right, we'll start out with those lists. A lot of awards today. First off, Zach Eady, All-American. The only unanimous All-American by the Sporting News. Interesting. That's one of four dominoes that got to fall for him for that consensus All-American. Still have the AP and a couple of Writers Associations. Uh, or no, the Writers Association and the Coaches Association all have to uh, name him as well. But, hey, that's one domino right there. Uh, Edie is also the player of the year in the Big Ten Conference, as announced today. He's only the second player in conference history to lead the Big Ten in points, rebounds, and shooting percentage. He's the first uh, and only one since Ohio State's Gary Brads did it in 1963-1964. Led the league in scoring, rebounding, field goal percentage. Just one of nine players to lead a major college conference in all three categories NCAA history. Last player to do it, Blake Griffin, 2009. Names on there. Besides Blake, how about Antoine Jameson? How about Tim Duncan? Shaq? Bill Walton? Lou Alcindor? Whatever happened to that guy? A lot of names on that list. As for other conference awards, Matt Painter denied Coach of the Year. That went to Chris Collins of Northwestern. Wildcats were picked to finish 13th in the league. They take on the second spot in the conference. And most likely an NCAA berth, which would be the team's second appearance ever, first since 2017. Edie was also named a first-team All-Big Ten player, along with Trace Jackson Davis. They were both unanimous on uh, both uh, the coaches and the media. Also making the coaches list, Chris Murray, Terrence Shannon, and Jalen Pickett. On the media side, Shannon was out, Hunter Dickinson and Boo Booie uh, both make it in. Media all agreed on Murray, Edie. Pickett, Trace Jackson Davis, and Edie. It was just that last spot that uh, got a little contentious, apparently. 
Uh, Jalen Huchifino is your freshman of the year. Chase Adij, Caleb McConnell, co-defensive players of the year. Edie makes the all-defensive team as well, despite winning the league by three games. Not one other player for Purdue made a first team, second team, or third team for either the coaches or media, nor did they get themselves a freshman of the year or sixth man of the year, although Bradensmith did make the all-freshman team. Men's swim and dive coach Dan Ross announcing he's going to retire here in June. He has served for 38 years as the Purdue men's head swim coach. Second longest tenure coach at Purdue ever, only behind Larry Labrie, who served 40 years as the men's tennis coach and 15 seasons as the swim coach. Good Lord. Only man to serve this university longer. Ross was the fifth most tenured swim coach in the country as well. So, yeah, these positions don't come open often, it seems like. If you can do 38 straight years and you're only the fifth most tenured swim coach in the country, should tell you something. Shortstop Trina Jones, the Big Ten softball player of the week for Purdue. Great week four performance for her. A pair of wins versus James Madison and a victory at North Carolina. First of uh, first award for Jones. Produced a 533 batting average, two home runs, six RBIs on eight hits, and scored the game winner in all three of Purdue's victories. Women's tennis off to their 9-1 start or up to number 50 in the latest ITA rankings. That is the best start for the Boilers since they went 10-2 eight seasons ago. Crazy night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Will Farrell was in the house, apparently shooting some project. 50 Cent also showed up, completely unrelated, by the way. So I don't know how that works. Um, 50 was there on behalf of his liquor brand. They have a partnership with the Pacers. Anyway, that wasn't enough. Uh, Philly wins 147-143 in regulation. Tyrese Halliburton, 40 points, 16 assists. And a shocking win last night out of the Blackhawks, who snap a four-game losing streak, 5-0 the final. Seth Jones with two goals. Staylock, 35 saves, his second shutout of the season. Uh, They'll get the sweep of the Sens in the two-game series for the year. Hawks will travel to Detroit tomorrow. And there you go. That is today's Need to Know News. Holding on. Do you hear this thing? Lord, it's like smoke them if you got them is what it sounds like I do. Still struggle. We're going to get through it together. Don't worry. All right. Back after it tonight with our best bets. Last night, Dreisaitl lets us down by one shot. He had a goal with five seconds left. They took it off the board. you got to be kidding me. Ugh. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. That's all right. We live to fight another day. That day is tonight. We got a lot, a lot of hockey action tonight. I'm back into hockey. I'm sorry. I want to look at the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers down in Florida. Vegas forced to travel here. Florida puts up a lot of shots. Hurricanes have at least 30-plus shots in nine of their last 10 at home. Vegas has allowed over 32 shots on goal in their last 10. So when Aiden Hill comes live at around 30 shots tonight, you need to take it. Not posted yet, but as soon as he's announced, you want to get in on that. 
Another game you want to get on, Anaheim and Seattle. Another goalie prop here. One that gets posted. John Gibson will be in the low 30s as well. Over there, Ducks give up 42.6 shots per game. And then, of course, the Arizona Coyotes are playing St. Louis. I don't care who they put in net. Take the over. Because they give up the most shots. Anaheim and Arizona, they give up so many shots. And they usually don't let these props go more than like 32 and a half. I mean, it's, it's easy out there. I'll tell you what, I'm on the goalie stuff. Let's see what we can do. Aiden Hill for Vegas tonight. John Gibson for Anaheim. We want the overs on saves because they're going to be facing an awful lot of action. So those are the plays tonight. they got to go live. They're not live yet, unfortunately. I don't hate Jake Allen for the Canadians tonight. Right, He's over-unders at 31.5. Carolina, 36 shots on goal over their last 10 on average. Montreal allows almost 36 shots on goal over their last 10 at home. So there we go. We got some goalie props tonight. We're going to try goalie props tonight. Let's see if we can take home some bacon. And I believe our friends over at DraftKings have got yourself a, a little NHL promo tonight too. I think I can add these all and parlay them and get myself a bonus, right? Bigger the parlay, the bigger boost. With a stepped-up parlay. So make sure you're taking advantage of that, all right? That's the plan here. All right, here's what I'm going to do. We'll take a little break. We're going to come back. Brian Tonsoni, Delphi Bracketology. Where is Purdue at? Are they on the one line? What's the difference between them and UCLA? And what do we think the committee is going to take into consideration when deciding between those two games, or two teams? We'll also talk about who's on the bottom bubble, who's out, but could play themselves in. Who is in but could play themselves out in the Big Ten? Who needs to have these wins more than anybody during the Big Ten tournament? We're going to talk about that and more. Very insightful conversation coming up uh, before Selection Sunday with Brian Tonsoni. Next, this is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer. Welcome back. It is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. I'm Jared Jessalitis. Over to our Blue Fox Eating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline. We go. We're going to bring in uh, Brian Tonsoni. Yes, some of you know him from Assembly Call. No, we're not going to argue about who should be Big Ten Player of the Year as much as Brian wants to, I'm sure. Uh, we're here to talk about his uh, little project with Delphi Bracketology, the amazing group of high schoolers that uh, are some of the best bracketologists in the country. Brian, hey, thanks for being back on the show here. Uh, for fans that have not heard of Delphi Bracketology, go ahead and give me the rundown again. Yeah, real quick. We started in uh, 2015, just uh, about five or six students and two or three teachers deciding on trying to predict the brackets. And we've had uh, quite a bit of success and notoriety, uh, thanks to a lot of people. Um, And we try to predict the bracket uh, as it comes out Sunday uh, when the NSA committee reveals its uh, 68 teams. And so uh, we have a TV show uh, with ISC Sports Network. Uh, we're on your show quite a bit. We, our webpage is DelphiBracketology.com if you want to see our updates this week. And you can always follow us on Twitter at uh, handle at DelphiBrackets. And uh, he is being modest because they have been one of the top 
brackets in the country here. Uh, and that's beating out guys like Lenardi and all those other, Palm, all those guys, all those big fancy names. So they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. And uh, we're real lucky to have them right here in our own backyard to be able to talk about this. All right, Brian, uh, as we head into the Big Ten tournament, let's get down to brass tacks here. As of right now, if we were to do Selection Sunday right now, how many teams does the Big Ten have in? Uh, we're going to say eight uh, with another couple just outside the cut line, maybe with a chance to get, get in. But we think eight for sure. So it's eight. for. We're sitting at eight right now. Uh, let's go with some of those teams uh, on the bubble here. Who, who do you have that needs um, that, that you have out right now, but they can maybe do some work and get themselves in here? Give me the bottom of that list. Yeah, the bottom of that list is Wisconsin, Michigan, and Rutgers. Uh, we have currently out. Uh, and a variety of opportunities maybe to get in. I, you know, there's been a lot of discussion uh, in our circles, and it just recently the NCA shared out a picture of their process of when they select teams. And, and by Saturday afternoon, they have all the teams selected. So the semifinals of the Big Ten and the championship of the Big Ten are somewhat uh, already been decided, uh, you know. So um, that's going to throw a wrinkle in whether some of these kids can uh, teams can make it. Texas A&M won three games in the SEC last year and did not make it in, even though it looked like their resume. Notre Dame lost their first conference game and got in with only four quad one and two wins. So there's no easy track record to look at the committees, how they look at what your results are in the conference tournament. It's one of the hardest things we have to do. So if we were saying, I think Wisconsin and Michigan may have a shot if they win early in the Big Ten uh, to maybe find their way in the bracket, I think Rutgers is out. So definitely the the matchup between Rutgers and Michigan, that's a loser-goes-home match. That's that's done, right? That's what, that's what you're basically telling us. Absolutely, 100%. And there's no guarantee that who wins gets gets in. I it's uh, probably if Michigan were to beat Rutgers and then unfortunately for you guys, if Michigan beats Purdue, now Michigan gains some steam to where they might be voted in. Um, and maybe the same for Rutgers too, but Rutgers is a different team without Malat Mag. They're two and six uh, since the injury. They were 16 and seven before the injury. And I think the committee is going to look at Rutgers and say that they're, they're not the same team that beat Purdue at Mackey, and therefore probably is going to be on the outside. So I think Michigan's the one there, and, and Wisconsin finishing 12th in the league in a 78 net. Uh, they're really looking on the outside in, but they have a lot of wins. And if the committee likes those wins, they may sneak in like a Rutgers did last year in a, in a similar spot. Talking with Brian Tonsoni here on our uh, Hammerhead Hotline from Delphi Bracketology. All right, let's go to those uh, bubble teams. You got them in, but there's really no – Room for error here. You can't screw around this week in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, who are those teams that are – you have them into the field right now, but they got to watch their backs from e- either losing early yeah. or bid stealers. Who's who's kind of in that danger yeah. zone here for you but in right now? The only one in that situation is Penn State. Uh, we, the committee may not have them in. Uh, we like them uh, with their two wins this past week, put their resume in a really good spot. Uh, but that's questionable. They have enough wins. Their road record's okay. Their net's 56, not great. Uh, They play Illinois, and they've already beaten Illinois twice. So that's going to be a tough ask for them in in the first game in Chicago. But if they win that one, I think they're going to be okay. If they lose that one, there is some talk in our group that they're going to be okay. 
Um, the bubble is, is more tight than a lot of people might think uh, because of that process of that committee starting tonight and then voting on 25 teams tomorrow and 40 teams being considered. And they came out and said that by Saturday, the last teams are voted in on Saturday. That only gives Penn State, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan a, a day or two to make some noise. So I think Penn State's in a win then they would be a lot more comfortable. Two wins, and I think for sure they're in. Brian, you've, you've been doing this here for a while. So in your uh, opinion, when it comes to a bubble like this, and, and you've got a lot of competing resumes, where does the committee tend to look at first? What what tends to be that big step? Is it the, maybe like a big road win that helps set you apart? Is it your net ranking? Is it a strength of schedule? Where, where are the couple of places that the committee looks first to try to sort out a lot of these uh, bubble teams? It's interesting you said that because we've really did some um, investigating of our own process because we've missed on a couple teams the last couple of years, so we're trying to fix some mistakes. And uh, I think it's random, more random than it maybe it should be. But I, I do think you have to have some level of wins, whether that's quantity of quad one and quad two wins or an elite win uh, where you beat someone that gets the attention of, and then from that point on, it's just really looking at your overall resume. Do, do your good wins outweigh your bad losses? And then how does that compare to the team right below, below you or right above you? Uh, I wish I could tell you there's one magical thing, uh, but we, we do think wins matter uh, for selection. And then the net matters for seeding. You got a team like Utah state, whose NCA committee created the net, who's sitting at 21 with only one quad one win. Uh, it's going to be hard for them to keep that team out uh, because it's their metric, but they have eight quad two wins. So combine that, they're nine and five in quad one and two. They play in a smaller conference. We believe Utah State is safely in, maybe on the 10 or 11 seed line, even without that really good quad one record. And so that's kind of an example of where you kind of got to stretch things around to see – when they talk, those 12 people talk about a team, what's the complete uh, resume looking? Where are the good spots? And do, does Utah State have more good spots than Mississippi State, the team right below them? Uh, and, and it's not so simple as just comparing everyone's quad one wins and picking the top team. It gets really complicated and, and crazy at the, at the last four. See, I thought this whole, you know, com, com making the net and, and giving yourself a new map, I thought this was supposed to make things easier. It sounds like it's made it a little bit harder for you guys. Well, it keeps us in business, Jared. Like, if everyone, <laughs> if everyone knew that there's a standing board, like, there's no bracketology in the NFL or the Major League Baseball. You're either six games behind or you're four and a half games behind, and you win, you move up, and you lose, you move down. And it keeps us in business. It keeps people calling me for radio shows. It keeps people, you know, on our Twitter feed. And, and that's the fun part, I think, of, of college sports with baseball, basketball, and football is the committees. As much as people get angry about it, and there's always maybe one team that gets uh, a little left out, I think that brings intrigue to the sport and a lot of attention to the sport that standing boards and professional sports do not. And so – yeah, it's frustrating for us, but it's also part of uh, what makes us, so we're okay with it. We're talking with Brian Tonsoni, Delphi Bracketology, here on our uh, Hammerhead Hotline. I'm sure what most of the listeners want to hear, do you have Purdue on that one-seeded line, or do they fall down to that two-seed? Sounds like to me, Houston, Alabama, Kansas, these are the one-seeds, and then it's usually either Purdue or UCLA. I know UCLA dealing with a major injury, so 
two-part question. Do you have Purdue on that one line right now? And uh, with Jalen's injury out there at uh, UCLA, will the committee or would you think the committee perhaps dox them a little bit because they'd be dealing with an injury going into the tournament? So I, we have Purdue on the one seed line. We think you're going to see Purdue on the one seed line on Selection Sunday. We can totally understand if it's UCLA because the margin is so razor thin. And depending on who's on that committee and what they value, uh, it could swing to UCLA's, you know, favor. But we just believe Purdue's resume, it, it, they have more quad one wins, nine to seven. Uh, they do have one quad one loss, but it was to a Rutgers team that was 18 in the net at the time. And then the injury has cost that net to go down to a, a quad two loss. So that's not Purdue's situation. That An injury caused them to have a quad two. A lot of people are arguing, well, uh, UCLA doesn't have any losses in quad two, three, or four, and Purdue does. Well, when you look at it deeper, neither does Purdue. Uh, that, 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 that's a weird circumstance that the committee will look at. Uh, the road records are very similar. The strength of schedules are very similar. And, and I think it comes down to, at that point, the thing that stands out are Purdue's wins are better. Um, they, they just have better wins. UCLA has a nice win over Arizona, and then they have a win at Maryland. And, and, and we don't think that that matches up. The other thing that you brought up, too, is if it's razor thin, and let's say everyone likes UCLA, that injury, no one's going to know. UCLA is going to downplay it. They're not going to put out news because they don't want to hurt their seed. But the committee's smart enough to know that if we move UCLA up a number over Purdue, who's been a number one all year long, and their second-best scorer and second-best rebounder does not play, then that's not putting teams in the best position. So I think the uncertainty of, of that player injury, not enough to drop UCLA from a two to a three seed, but it's enough for a difference. And here's something else. Um, uh, a, a colleague of mine just direct messaged me on Twitter that you need a play-in game on Thursday, and you need a play-in game on Friday. Well, Kansas, Houston, and Alabama are, are, are likely to head to pods that play on Thursday. And Purdue is going to Columbus, which is scheduled to play on Friday. UCLA is scheduled to play on Thursday. That will be in Sacramento, which is a Thursday-Saturday. So if you put UCLA on the one seed line, that is all four teams play Thursday and Saturday and you usually have a 16 playing game each night, Tuesday and Wednesday. So unless they mess the schedule up and play both 16 games on Tuesday and both 11 seed playing games on Wednesday to meet that, or they move UCLA to Denver, but I don't think they're going to punish UCLA to make them travel more in that situation. With the injury, with the scheduling, with Purdue being better, I think Purdue's a one. All, all, you know what I took? All I took home was that last sentence, Purdue's the one, Purdue's better. That's, that's a lot to take into consideration, and I really don't know how you do that, but that's all really, really great info here from Brian Tonsoni, Delphi Bracketology. I know you guys are uh, putting out great content on the website. Remind the folks uh, about what the website is and uh, what they can find it there right now. Yeah, yeah we have um, it's DelphiBracketology.com. We have every conference tournament bracket uh, in a little article about every tournament we're not great espn writers so we just do little lists of who the favorites are and who who our picks are and who sleepers are that's on the web page right now uh, our seed list was updated this morning our bracket was updated we're going to change that up even when games aren't played because we're constantly looking at that through uh tomorrow night's major meeting but yeah check us out on delphibracketology.com and then get a hold of us on twitter we'll try to answer 
as many questions as we possibly can to help people understand this complicated procedure called the selection committee. I feel like it gets harder and harder every year. Three letters for you, buddy. B-C-S. Let's just let the computer sort it out. (laughs) There you yeah, go. But I need a job, man. I want to be on your show. Ah, you know? There you go. Well, you know, that's a whole other degree you got to get them to understand that kind of stuff. It's uh, Brian <laughs> Tonsoni from Delphi Bracketology. Uh, again, it's a great group. Follow them on Twitter. Go check out the webpage. You got questions about the Selection Sunday process. Hit them up. They love to interact with you guys. Brian, it's always a pleasure. I don't know where the season has gone. It has gone incredibly fast, but you always bring very, very good information to the show. I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for. Hey, welcome back. It is the uh, Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017 thehammercom Jared Jessalitis with you here. Yes, I know I sound terrible here. Dealing with it. No, I'm not the only one dealing with that cold has been going around here. But still in here, still grinding, and I'm glad I didn't take the day off because, uh, boy, a whole heck of a lot of stuff happening in the uh, Big Ten with the announcements of uh, their end-of-the-year awards. We talked about it at the top of the show. By the way, thank you to Brian Tonsoni from Delphi Bracketology. That was just that was amazing stuff he gave you there uh, ahead of Selection Sunday on uh, you know who's in, who's out, and uh, the difference between Purdue and UCLA and, and what they will look at. Great stuff by Brian. But today, Big Ten announcing their coaches and their uh, media uh, award list here. Coaches have Zach Eady as the player of the year. It was not unanimous. Co-defensive player of the year's Chase Audish and Caleb McConnell. No problem with that. Jalen hood Shafino, freshman of the year, not unanimous. Peyton Sandefort, sixth man of the year. Um, Chris Collins is your coach of the year from the coaches. Talked about first team, two unanimous picks, Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady. Terrence Shannon Jr., Chris Murray, Jalen Pickett also on the list. Second team was Jameer Young, Hunter Dickinson, Tyson Walker, Derek Walker, Chase Audige, Boo Booey. Third team, Matt Mayer, Jalen Hood-Shafino, Kobe Bufkin, Jet Howard, Cliff Amoriuri. Really, a lot of honorable mentions because they got votes. It doesn't surprise me to see this list of honorable mentions and a couple of Purdue guys on there in Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. It doesn't surprise me because you had such a log jam in the middle of the Big Ten. Brayden Smith didn't make the all-freshman team, along with Jalen Hood-Shafino, Jed Howard, Bryce Sensabaugh. Uh, that all makes sense. No problems with that. Zach Eady does make the all-defensive team as well. You go over to the media side, uh, and basically the same thing. Zach, Jalen, Chris Collins. First team changes. Uh, on the media, you had consensus first-team picks, Trace Jackson-Davis, Chris Murray, Jalen Pickett, and Zach Eady. And then apparently they had uh, trouble picking the last spot, Hunter Dickinson, Boo Booey, so they just put them both on the team. And you know, Terrence Shannon Jr. slides into the second team. And that's the big difference, although I didn't notice this the first time around. But Derek Walker for Nebraska's second team on the coaches... And I don't even think he made third team. He didn't make the third team on the media. A lot of honorable mentions again, both Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, and that's where it comes in at. Look, we have talked ad nauseum about the difference between Jalen Hood, uh, not Jalen Hood, you know, Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady in the player of the year race. We have heard the uh, IU 
fans um, sticking points for this. The fact that uh, um, you know that the stats were very much the same except for the assists, which means you know Trace Jackson Davis does more as a player, so he should be valued for that. And as they put it, he beat Zach twice head to head. Even though if you look at the box score. Uh, you could tell that, no, Zach won that matchup between the two of them uh, in both games, in both of their major categories, points and rebounds. Zach is the first player, like I told you at the top of the show, and uh, the first player since 64 and only the second player in league history to lead the conference in both points, rebounds, and shooting percentage. And I gave you the list of other players that have done that in a major conference. It is small but distinguished. So really, I'm not trying to throw shade at Trace Jackson Davis, who was a great player, just Zach Eady was a better player. And statistically, and through the eyeball test, Zach won that matchup between the two of them. Just did. I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the day. Because there's eight other players on the court. And Jalen hood won that game in West Lafayette. <laughs> so I'm not... Uh, again, it is what it is. I don't have a problem with Jalen hood being your freshman of the year. That, that makes sense to me. Uh, Jet Howard, I don't think, did enough. Braden's good. But, you know... Jalen had some real wow games and some real highlights. Brains that just nose down, consistent kind of performer. Jalen's good. Jalen's got a very high ceiling. So I, I don't really have to do this. The, the, the real sticking point that Ian seemed to have is Chris Collins as coach of the year over Matt Painter. And I said yesterday, I said, Chris Collins got it. I wouldn't lose my mind over it. I get it. It um Look. As I read on Twitter and this makes sense to me. If Northwestern does not win that last game, they do not get that two seat and then this probably doesn't happen cuz he's sitting at like what 7th and they play like the 7th or 8th seed something like that. They would have fallen down to and then, yeah, the impact of that, it's its probably a little bit different. You, you got two lumps of coal here, both shined into diamonds by their respective coaches. You get Northwestern, who never goes to the tournament. It's gone once. It was 2017. Picked to finish 13th by these media types. And lost, lost Nance, right? knew they were going to have their limitations, and somehow found themselves up into the two-seat. Northwestern, not an easy place to recruit to, to get up to come play. Don't have a lot of success traditionally. And Collins got him there, right? Yes, I know he's got two very old guards. It helps. But... They were farther down the ditch than Purdue was to get started. We, I mean, you just look at the lineups, left and right. The bar is higher for Matt Painter. The bar is higher for Purdue. 
But I fully understand the argument that Purdue lost an All-Big Ten player and a lottery pick to those players, leave the program, and then he takes two freshmen in the backcourt and wins the league by three games, which almost never happens. And had this team in at number one and staying in the top five. I I get it. However, you do have the National Player of the Year on your team, and you've developed that. I'm not taking that away from Matt Painter, and I'm really not trying to stick up for Collins. I'm just saying I, I don't think it's as egregious as some people are making it out to be. I look at it this way. Like I said, two coaches polishing, you know, two lumps of coal here. Collins had the much bigger lump of coal. But when it's all said and done, Matt Painter's diamond is a heck of a lot clearer. It may be smaller, but it's a lot clearer. What do you value? What do you value? It's also not lost on me that coaches vote on this, right? Can't vote for yourself. Some guys just have grudges. They just do. I don't know how close this is. should be kind of close. I think it should be close. You know, on the media side, um, I've always thought that Matt Painter was viewed very positively by the media. But I, I think this has mostly to do with the fact that Northwestern never wins and that if you do win with Northwestern, that that's something to be celebrated. My vote would have gone probably to Matt Painter. I don't want to discount what Chris Collins has done, though, this season. Like I said, 13th, lost the best player to the portal. Bowie and Chase Adige carried that team, and they have number two. If they don't win that last game, they don't end up number two. You know, Like I said, they're playing in the middle of the pack. They don't get that double bye. Absolutely, it's, it's Matt Painters and Matt Painters alone. I'd have a problem with it there. To be the preseason 13 and 2. And I know at the end of the day, you know, they're not ranked. That seems a little bit harsh to do that. This just happens once in a blue moon. And I think that's why, you know, he gets it. I don't hate it. Not necessarily thrilled with it. If you want to talk about somebody that I think got snubbed, it's Tominaga, man. Nebraska. You know we love that kid. He's exciting. He's fun to watch. He doesn't make a second or third team, though. Let's at least make the case for a third. Look at some of these guys that are on the third team. Somebody tweeted at me. I thought he should have been sixth man of the year. He's just started too many games, I think. He had like 13 starts in the Big Ten. I don't know that you could be the sixth man if you're starting for over half the season. But he had the stats to do that. I mean, if I put him up with Bufkin in the conference play. Comparable. Tominaga, uh, a better shooter. What did what, what did he finish in the league? And in in, I'm just going by the league stats here. Shot 51% in league play from field goal range. 41% from three. Averaged 14 points a game. He did that on 27 minutes a game. Pretty good considering he really didn't even get started and become a focal point until 
about the middle of January. But, you know, Derek Walker made third team. It's his teammate. Shooting 55%. He averaged the same amount of points here, not to mention all the threes that he knocks down. He's better than Jet Howard. Averaged more points than Jet Howard. Jet Howard shot 38% in league play. Tom and I shot over 50%. Come on. The kid is like the most fun player to watch that's not on your team in the Big Ten. I believe he deserves at least a third team. He's great down the stretch. Where did he finish shooting for threes? Was he like third in the league in threes? Shooting percentage? You want to talk about a snuff? I think it's the madman from Japan. That's just me. Those are the lists. They are what they are. It's nice to get the recognition. But it's it's just crazy that you can win the league by three games and not have a single, just one player, your player of the year, make first team. Nobody else make any other teams. Michigan's got like four, like three or four players on first, second, and third team. We're not even making the tournament right now. You're Brian. Probably out of the tournament. It's absurd. Don't like it. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up things here. As long as I got a voice. This is the Hammer Down Show. 1017 The Hammer. 1017. All right, let's do this thing. The Hammer Down Show. 1017 The Hammer. 1017TheHammer.com. I'm Jared Jessalitis. Don't forget, we'll get the uh, full show posted up for you. Uh, afterwards on our uh, Facebook, uh, I have no idea what's happening with our Twitter. We got hacked last week. Help me, Elon. We're trying to get the hold of this thing again. If not, I don't want to start it all over. But look, you can still listen to this stuff. Facebook, you can listen to it on uh, Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, Audible. Um, you can also pick it up on our website and our app, 1017thehammer.com. Make sure you download that app, and you can listen to all that good stuff. So in case you want to go back and listen to Brian, which you should, it was a very good interview with him telling you uh, what they expect on Selection Sunday and uh, how this process goes, uh, who they got in, who they've got out right now in the Big Ten, and, of course, uh, what's going to happen with uh, Purdue, one seed or not. Great talk with him. Let's get to some of the things that we may have missed. Uh, we know that uh, we know that the Colts are going to be in the QB market and are thinking about trading up for that top pick. Well, somebody just hit the market. Lamar Jackson. The Ravens will use the franchise tag on him, but... It is a non-exclusive franchise tag. So what does that mean? Well, that means Jackson can negotiate with other teams. Okay? Now, if he comes back, $32 million. But if he signs a deal with another team, the Ravens have a chance to match that. If they match that, they get him. If not... The signing team forks over two first-round picks. Jackson has that contract, and he will be their quarterback. Now, will the Colts go after him? Eh, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way. 
But there are plenty of teams, I think, that will be uh, interested in him. I, I think uh, Atlanta sounds like a team that will be very interested in him. Doesn't sound like anybody in the NFC South or, or, or the like there or the NFC North for you Bears fans. But it is out there. It can complicate things. It's expensive, but then again, you saw what got forked over for Deshaun Watson. And Lamar probably has less baggage than that guy does. So it's out there. We'll see what happens. It definitely it changes a few things. It really does. Because now you've got a team that may make that move that was planning on trading up or being in the discussion of trading up, driving up the price of that first pick. Somebody bows out and just says, hey, cheaper for me to go get Lamar Jackson. I'll be happy with that. That's less you have to give up uh, as the Colts to get there. It's less that you get in return. If you're the Bears, less competition for that pick. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, definitely very interesting that uh, the Ravens will go that route. Hey, that's going to do it for us here on the uh, Hammer Down Show. Again, big thanks to Brian Tonsoni. Uh, for being on with us here. We're all getting very excited. Tomorrow, Big Ten Tournament does tip off up in Chicago. Purdue doesn't play until Friday, but that doesn't mean we won't have some games to talk about. We've also got a special edition of the Boiler Basketball Show. It'll be our last one of the year. That'll be tomorrow after the Hammer Down Show, 4 o'clock. I'm just praying my voice comes around by then. So it'll be myself, Jeff Julik. We'll have Nate Barrett. We'll have Alan Carpick tomorrow, and uh, we'll all get you ready there for that show. That's at 4 o'clock. Of course, 3 o'clock, we'll start with everything that you need to know and uh, get you a whole hour of local sports talk. That's what we do. Make sure you stream this uh, episode uh, right afterwards. Again, Facebook, uh, we're on Spotify. Those are the easiest places to find us. 1017 The Hammer, the 1017 The Hammer mobile app has it as well. So I will see you back here again. I hope so, as long as I have a voice tomorrow, 3 o'clock. And we'll talk local sports again here on The Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer. Located nine miles north of Greencastle at the intersection of US 231 and US 36, Detro Trailers has a huge selection of enclosed utility, equipment, and car trailers. Featuring SureTrack, Cargo Express, Aluma, and many other brands, Detro's has over 500 trailers in stock for you to choose from. With a knowledgeable service department and highly rated customer service, Detro Trailers has been serving customers for over 32 years. See DetroTrailers.com for more information today.